So we're talking about $500 billion, $425 billion of that is loan guarantees. Now they've, they've earmarked a certain portion of that for specific industries. You've got $50 billion for airlines, $8 billion for cargo, air cargo basically, and $17 billion uh, for firms that are certified national security. And this is going to be not probably mostly our sector. The rest of the money is available to any U.S. company that meets a test. And the test is going to be determined by the secretary, the treasury secretary. Oil and gas today is more than exploration and production. It's more than the feet drilled or the hours of continuous pumping hours. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The Oil Field 360 podcast is a 360-degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a first-hand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. Oil Field 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, is one of the largest and most experienced energy investment banking firms in the industry, offering M&A advisory, capital markets execution, and investment research. For more information, please visit www.simmonspsc.com. World Oil For more than 103 years, World Oil has provided global decision makers with coverage of the latest market intelligence and technological advances relating to the upstream oil and gas industry. To subscribe and learn more about these essential resources, please visit www.worldoil.com. Prang & Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang & Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we've assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit www.prang.com. EIV Capital EIV Capital is a growth equity-focused private equity firm which has been providing capital to the North American energy industry since 2009. The team has extensive experience across the entire energy value chain. We invite you to visit www.eivcapital.com and learn how we partner with entrepreneurs to build businesses. Galtway Industries Known as the most connected and value-driven manufacturing partner in the oil field, Galtway Industries specializes in developing and implementing supply chain solutions for top-tier OEMs with a specialty in steel forgings, castings, machining, and fabrication designed to exceed expectations. Visit www.gultwayindustries.com to learn more. Tomahawk Safety Tomahawk Safety is a leading manufacturer of oil field safety gloves with products that are ergonomically designed for superior fit, offer best-in-class protection, and stand up to the industry's toughest jobs. For more information, please visit www.tomahawksafety.com. Range Valuation Services Range is the only oil and gas-focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit www.rangevaluationservices.com. Locked in Global Energy and Marine. Uncommonly different. 
Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's energy expertise is largely centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Besides risk finance and risk management consulting, Lockton provides commercial insurance and employee benefits brokerage, as well as human resources and retirement consulting. For more information, please visit www.lockton.com. Welcome to a special edition of Oilfield 360 Podcast. We are in the Oilfield 360 Podcast offices in Houston, Texas, and we have a couple special guests. Uh, as always, I'm I'm with David Rode, co-host extraordinaire. David, welcome. Good morning. So we have two guests today from PISA, Petroleum Equipment and Services Association, President Leslie Byer. Hi there. And Tim Tarpley, a vice president of government affairs. I know I'm screwing that up slightly. No, that's correct. Government affairs, straight. Okay, good. I thought there was some fancier government affairs title, but that was... After he gets us through this, he might have a better title. Oh, okay. There we go. (laughs) So typically we would do a a, a more of a personal interview of everybody on the podcast, but this is a a special uh, podcast that we're going to be doing. And really it's a timely podcast that needs information or that has information that our listeners have that our um, our sponsors want. So what we're going to do is David and I are going to be asking questions, but um, really Leslie and Tim, I want you guys to take over and and share information that needs to be shared. Um, I, I do have a couple of questions and we'll ask them in a minute, but it is today is Monday, the 24th. Uh, currently, our government is talking about a two trillion dollar economic stimulus package. Uh, there's a lot of money being talked about. There's a lot of industries being talked about. You're going to hear anything from hotel and restaurant management to, you know, automotive to the, I was even reading where the, the private jet industry is lobbying for money. So the only gas industry is typically, this really isn't the world we play in where we're, I wouldn't say that we're one of the groups that ever goes to Washington or talks in these circles, but I know that the, because of the double whammy of coronavirus or COVID ID and the Aram, uh, the Saudi Russia OPEC fight. We're in a unique situation. Oil is at $22 last time I looked. So I mean, we're in the low twenties. Um, and last week, some developments happened and I know that you guys were having meetings with your board. Can you please kind of take us up to speed on where we are? Uh, Leslie, can you lead us off here? Sure. Thank you so much, Josh and David, um, for having me and Tim on, on the show. Um, you know, like you mentioned, uh, unprecedented times right now for the oil and gas industry. And we represent the National Trade Association for the oil field services and equipment sector. Um, We talked about that in another podcast. But what's important about that is that, you know, our role is really to advocate for all of those companies that are involved in um, oil and gas production. Those are you know, oil field service providers, suppliers, manufacturers. And this is where a lot of the workforce is in the energy industry. So over 500,000 people um, are in our sector and we have to advocate on their behalf. And you're right, you know, when you say, you know, the oil and gas industry and never really looking for handouts. Absolutely not. Um, but with the double whammy of what's happening with oil price um, and then you know, with the virus, it's really obviously putting just unprecedented pressure on on us. And so 
it's been important for us to work with the board and make sure that we identify very specific areas that we can advocate on behalf of our sector, um, things that we need to see, recommendations that we'd like to see, um, you know, that will help support our businesses because we are such a critical part of the industry. And so Tim is leading that for our team. He's been in contact um, with a number of folks in DC. And I'm just, I'm glad that he can kind of um, really get into the details of the the things that he's been working on to share with our members. Well, and Tim, I, I'm going to bring you on here in a second, but I really, it needs to be pointed out how hard people are working right now. You have a young baby, you are currently in the middle of a move and you are working how many hours a day trying to make sure that the industry is represented properly? Right. Well, I mean, it's important. Times like this don't come up. All You have to be ready for situations like this. And, uh, you know, what happens in the next couple of weeks or is going to guide what happens with our economy and our, our sector uh, for, for many years. So it's, it's really important that uh, they get it right in Washington. You know, the, the U.S. economy is, is basically on hold right now. And we have to make sure that our company survives so that when it restarts, they'll be ready. They'll be ready to uh, to come back. Positive news. The good news is if you look at economic history, when there's a pause or a slowdown like this, there's usually a big burst when things get back up and running. So uh, all of this that we're talking about in D.C., this is to keep companies alive so that when we come back, which we will come back, we come, we're ready to come back real strong. And our, our companies and our sector are uh, right there, ready to go. Well, and Tim, I know you're a Washington guy. You've spent a lot of time up there. In fact, Leslie was able to draw you down into the Houston area specifically for this role. But when you say times like this, can you, I mean, I'm not trying to turn you into a historian right now, but I mean, can you give me another example of something that is a time like this? Because I think there's a lot of people listening that think that this is uncharted territory for everybody. Sure. Just have to correct you on one thing, Josh. I'm a Houston guy who spent some time in Washington, okay. D.C. And now, now that back is, home. That is of critical importance. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. Sorry. I hate to correct you on your on your podcast. I'm going to edit it out anyway. <laughs> um, well, well, I think you bring up a really good point. I mean, if you, if you look at history, there hasn't been a lot of situations like this. We're kind of in uncharted waters. I think – Probably, I mean, you know, not not to be over overly dramatic. Probably the most similar scenario would be World War II, where you had a lot of our economy that 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 paused, and then everything turned to the war effort, and then the war ended, and we saw one of the largest economic booms, continued economic booms we've ever seen in the history of this country. So we're going to beat this virus. It's just a matter of time, and we're going to come back and we'll come back real strong. If you look at history, you can you can also look at you know the the economic crisis, the mortgage which started in the mortgage industry in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. But I don't think that is quite as good a comparison because that was a, it started out as a small segment of the economy. It ultimately, it grew, but that that was a little different crisis. I think you really got to go more to a global situation like like a, like a, a war because this is going on all over the place, not just the United States, not just certain parts of the United States, not just certain countries. It's the entire world is on pause. Let me ask you a question. And I want to get, I know you have points by point we want to get to. Have you received how many calls? And I'm, cause I'm sure it's many from our industry leaders, people at different companies. Like, what are they asking of you right now? Are you just, is it, what kind of questions are you receiving? Yeah, I think, I think what, uh, mostly what it is, is they are seeing what's going on in, in DC. Last week, I think a lot of folks were just taking a pause, trying to catch their breath, figure out where we were. Now, this week, it's okay. We know what the issue is. We got to find solutions. Let's work together and find some, some solutions. So, uh, I think what I've heard a lot from, of, you know, last week and, and into this week is, you know, what's going on in DC? 
we need to make sure this provision gets in. The way that this language is written is not uh, going to benefit our industry. You know, uh, what can what, what can we do to work to work with the legislators on that? And I think in addition to that, um, you know, members are calling out with specific requests, um, you know, hey, how can we make sure that our employees are um, noted as critical industries, you know, so that we can keep working, you know, different different things that Tim is is trying to make sure wind up in the ultimate final language. And I do want to say, in addition to all of this that we're working on in, in terms of the stimulus package, you know, PISA is bringing together almost all of its committees and groups telephonically and has been over, you know, last week. And then we're going to continue to do that for the next few weeks um, with members from the different groups calling in and saying, okay, I'm having my HR lead um, call in and talk about how we're approaching um, our hourly employees. You know, are we furloughing them? What's a best practice around that? Um, Yesterday, or not yesterday, but just a couple of days ago, our supply chain group, uh, the heads of supply chain of all of our member companies got together via WebEx and, and talked through mitigating risk to supply chain. Um, so we're going to continue to do that as along with economic outlooks, you know, market outlooks. Uh, Tim has a reporter from DC calling in to advise our members. So across the board, it's an important, you know, effort that we have because that's the power of PISA. The power of PISA is bringing people together. And right now we can't all get into the same room. So we're developing these opportunities. We had somebody on that call and I heard there was over 30 companies. Oh, right. There's on that call alone, there were over 30 companies, but we had a market outlook. There were 60 companies. You know, I think it's an incredible resource to have right now to be able to get on the line with your peers, get the intelligence. You know, it's not like you're bumping into them, you know, down at lunch, mm -hmm. you know, or at the restaurant around the corner. You really have to make an effort right now to reach out and get that. And, and we're trying to put those opportunities together. So, Tim, in those opportunities, I mean, this is, I hate to, again, put more pressure on you in the middle of a pressure pack situation, but this is one of the main reasons you were brought to PISA is to, to lead these efforts. And what are you getting everything you need right now? Are you is how is how are the member companies responding, helping you push? You've got a, a letter docket in front of you. What are some of the things that people are asking for and that we need to make? Because this is going to go out. This is a global podcast, top 1% in the world. No big deal. And it is. In, but but there's a there's an audience that's going to hear this. So I, I really do want to use the power of a podcast here for people to hear some of the things that Peace is going to be helping with. And then after that, how can they get involved to help you and help us, I should say. Um, so what are some of the things that people are, are getting into right now? Sure. Um, it's a great question. Well, I think it might be helpful if I start and just talk briefly about where we are in D.C. right now. You're hearing about this package that is being put together right now. In fact, Right before we got on the uh, the the uh, got got on the podcast here today, the, a, a vote failed in the Senate. It's called the cloture vote. Basically, it's just a, it's, a, it's a motion to proceed that failed. Uh, so negotiations are still going on right now. But let, let's just talk briefly about what is in this package because you hear all these numbers thrown around, and it's important to know what is specifically in there for us. And then I'll go into what our companies need to maintain in that package and what maybe we can try to add as, as this Great. goes through the legislative process. Real important to us, there's $3 billion for S, uh, purchase of oil for the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. That's $3 billion. So that's a good, that's a good thing for us. On the demand side, there's $250 billion 
for direct cash payments to Americans. This is incredible. This is nothing like this has ever happened before. We're talking about $250 billion. Federal government is going to write checks to every American. Now, there is an income limit, so over $100,000 will not get the checks. But any, anybody making under $100,000 will get in between $1,200 and $2,400. That's, that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Uh, you know, that is going to mostly go to cover folks' rents and mortgages who are not bringing in income. I mean, uh, 50 million Americans are, you know, working working in the uh, service sector. That's all shut down right now. It'll help them. But it'll also help increase demand for for products, which will, will keep our economy chugging along for this month or two months, however long this goes. So that's important. Uh, maybe not as important for our sector, but it is important uh, to keep the economy going. Uh, there's $350 billion for small business loans. That's important for some of our members. Also, payroll tax is delayed until until the summer. That's good news. But here's here's the real important part, and this is actually where most of the debate uh, is going on on the Hill right now, why, why they haven't settled on a package. There's $500 billion in corporate relief. Now, what this really is, is this is loan guarantees. This is low-interest government loans where the government is going to use this $500 billion to come in and keep industries alive that are that need cash because the credit markets are, 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 are very tight and they're going to get probably tighter in the coming weeks and months. This money is meant to be a bridge to keep companies afloat, to keep folks employed so that – Well, so I just want to make sure when th- – is this the thing that everyone's complaining – they're calling it a slush fund? Yes. Okay. So what <laughs> – well, and that's I'm, I can understand where each side right. is going to point fingers right now, and that's right. You know, this show is apolitical. Quite honestly, I don't really care. Yeah. But what I mean, explain to me why they're calling it a slush fund and what is it actually entails, please. And I know that's difficult. No, no, no. Me. It's it's a great question, and it really goes to the heart of what what the debate is right now, what they're fighting over. So we're talking about five hundred billion dollars. Four hundred and twenty-five billion of that is loan guarantees. Now they've they've earmarked a certain portion of that for specific industries. You've got fifty billion for airlines. Eight billion for cargo, air cargo basically, and seventeen billion uh, for firms that are certified national security. And this is going to be not probably mostly our sector. The rest of the money is available to any U.S. company that meets a test, and the test is going to be determined by the secretary, the treasury secretary. So it, all the discretion is to him. The company must just prove that they are facing credit issues because of coronavirus, right? It doesn't say you can't have other issues going on. It just says that you're facing credit situation because of the coronavirus. If the secretary determines your company, uh, I'm talking about how it's currently written, your company fits that definition, then they're eligible for loans. Now, what the Democratic side on the Senate wants is they want to add a whole bunch of other stipulations into that formula. They want one. They want to take the authority away from the, the um, secretary and put it in some sort of board or some, some group, so that this one individual isn't making that determination. Second, they want to put pay freezes on all the executives for anywhere between five and ten years. There's other provisions in there that they want to have green mandates for any company receiving this money. They have to follow certain green mandates. There's all kinds of proposals out there. But the way the bill is written right now is that the secretary has that discretion. So this is very important. And when and when it goes when it goes into what our companies need, we probably the number one priority for us right now is to ensure that the current language stays. Because the more stipulations that are added on the Senate side are going to be cutting out our companies piece by piece. So generally spe- saying, speaking, when there's more stipulations added, it's probably not going to be in our favor. Is that because <clears throat> we're an 
oil and gas industry? Or? Yes. Okay. So it's not just every industry that would be specific to dubiously intentional. Right. Okay. The longer these negotiations go on and, and, and the more stipulations and requirements are added, the harder it's going to be for any company, not, not just our sector, to qualify for these loans. The way, that's why it is beneficial for most. The way it was originally written is that the secretary has discretion. There's a number of things, qualifications you have to meet. Uh, and you have to agree to that. And then you're eligible. If The more eligibility requirements that are added on, it's probably not going to be in our benefit. Generally speaking, okay, um, but that's going on right now, so we don't know how that's going to fall. So, what fall can down. the average person that's going to hear this? It, we're going to have this thing published within forty-eight hours, <clears> so this will be out there pretty timely. What is the average person? What can they do sure. to help this thing move forward? I think at this point, the negotiations are mainly in the Senate. So, I mean, it, this sounds like like it's not important, but yeah, actually, contact your senator. Let let them know how your company's doing, how this, how their credits being affected by this situation, and let them know how important it is. I don't think people realize how a accessible that is and b yeah. powerful that is. We both used to have those jobs in that <laughs> right. house in the Senate. I mean, you know, there's people listening um, and answering those phones and answering those letters that go into you know they members of Congress, it. and it's documented all yep. day. And you know, the members see what those numbers look like, and that influences the decisions they make. Right. I happened to work on on Capitol Hill during the financial crisis in 2000. Uh, I guess it was 2008, 2009, and the amount of calls we received, they were all logged. And I can I can tell you, because I was sitting in the room, the members of Congress, the first thing they say is, all right, what are we hearing from these folks on it? Because this is a, when these crisis situations, you know, politics tends to kind of, in some ways, go away. And it's, what 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 do my people need? What 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 what, what are you hearing? Uh, so it's probably more important now than it is in, in, in any other situation. Let me ask you <clears throat> quick, just for those people who may not know, what is the best way to figure out I mean, some folks I don't even think know who's representing them in in Congress. Right. What's What's the easiest best way to figure out who who is representing who and and how to get in touch with them? Yeah. Um. If you go, if you're in Texas, you go to find my Texas representative. They'll tell you. You just type in your address. Boom. They'll tell you all everybody that represents you from down to the county level all the way up to the federal uh, level. Uh, other states have similar, you know. Um, I, I hate to be. Is that a .gov .com? Find my Texas. Just Google. Just Google. Find my text. My, find my representative. And actually, I think most states will kick you to, to your your search site okay. right there. I know Texas does. I know Louisiana, but many others as well. But also, you know, I think it's important is to work through your trade organizations. Like I'm not trying to to, to bump up PISA here, but it is important when you can get somebody that can speak you know, for a broad voice, it's a way to, to, to force, multiply and maximize. Um, and right message. now, all the trade associations are working together. Yeah. You know, we're all, we're all on weekly calls. Like I know exactly what the other industry trades are working on. They know what we're working on and we're coordinating in that way. Right. And that's helpful too. That's so incredibly there's a force helpful. multiply right. there. Okay. And and it's very important to, to keep in mind this is not is not a bailout of any particular industry you know that that, that word is is thrown around this is this is a, this is a government coming in and in stabilizing markets because of a, of a completely unforeseen situation that has that has come up and has essentially shut down the economy so you shouldn't feel you know I mean I, I say you I say I mean the sector or or oil and gas doesn't shouldn't feel like they're coming asking for a bailout because that's not what it is. It, this has affected every facet of the of the entire economy, and, there, and if there's ever a time, you know, you know, for government intervention, this this is when this is when it is. I mean, I, I generally wouldn't advocate for for any any government intervention um, in the markets, but uh, in scenarios like this, you, you have to you yeah, have to stabilize uh, the market. Tim, I actually think that's a pretty <clears throat> important point. Um, yeah. You know, I, I happen to be in 
uh, Louisiana after Macondo. And I will never forget going. The lieutenant governor spoke at a rally that I went to. And he said, look, he said, other industries complain. He says, the oil and gas industry doesn't complain. Because, mm-hmm. they, I mean, South Louisiana was just just ran, wrecked. I mean, it was a rough right. place to be for quite a period of time. And I remember the guy saying, you know, tomorrow you're going to stand up. You're going to put one boot on. Then you're going to put the second boot on. You're going to go out there. And, I mean, people were in tears because that's the mentality that we have here. So I, I've even, when I've read this, I'm like, oil and gas people don't get bailouts. What is this? Why are, you know, this isn't how we do it. But it, it really is important to note that, listen, we didn't start the Russia-Saudi fight. I mean, we're involved in that somewhat, but and we right. certainly didn't start COVID-19, right. coronavirus. So should the, the so the average American or person listening to this, they their support of this is paramount and not to feel bad about it. And I, and I mean that. I mean, as, a, as just an oil and gas industry worker, don't feel bad about this. Support it. We need the help. The industry is going to need a moment to put its, you know, to get back on its feet. And what we provide to the economy is so important. Like Tim said, when he opened up, that's why it's so important that we, you know, are talking about what we need in this correction, because what we provide to the world is a lot more important than, than some other things out there. We keep the lights on. Yeah. Right. We're, we're, we're going to beat this and America's going to be just fine. We're going to come back. And when we turn everything on, it's going to be the oil and gas industry. It's going to be the energy industry that's there to turn on our factories, to turn on everything. Uh, of every part of our economy. So, so the the goal is to keep these companies healthy, keep their workers employed, so that when we do come back, we, we're ready to come back and ready to come back strong. So, I remember you had a uh, the email that we exchanged before this. Do you have that list of? Um, I do, and I think it might be helpful to talk. I, I would love to hear about that. Yeah. Uh, so we've already talked about loan guarantee language. I think that's priority number one. You got to make sure that there are not carve outs that block out our 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 industry. That's number one. Number two, and this issue has come up a lot over the past couple of days, as you see cities, states shut down, some of these cities and states are using different definitions of what what, what a critical infrastructure or what a critical um, activity is. It's very important that we make sure that all aspects of the oil and gas supply chain are, meet that definition. Now, the federal definition is pretty good. It covers most of our, our sector's activities, although it's 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 a little questionable if some of the really, really far downstream activities like uh, in the supply chain are, are, would be covered or not. I would argue that they are under this language, but we do need to work a little bit there to make sure that, that that's clarified. But also it's important to make sure that that federal definition is used across the states because right now what we have is Pennsylvania may shut, shut down and they might define what critical infrastructure is one way and Ohio might do it the next week and it's totally different. And that's a very difficult scenario for any company to kind of try to navigate that. So hopefully there can be some uniformity among among the states and the federal government on what those definitions are. The third thing is, you know, it is probably going to be very beneficial right now that we're going to have supply chain disruptions. We already are. I shouldn't say probably. We are going to see supply chain disruptions to maybe extend product exclusions that have already been granted, extend those for a year so that we can bring some certainty to the supply chain in the near term. What, what um, is that specifically? I mean, 232, 301. Okay, so you're uh, talking like extending some right. of these import. If it's already been granted. Right. If it's already been granted, the government's already gone through the process. Mm-hmm. You've already been granted. Let's extend it another year. A lot of these are coming up for, um, they're Remote. expiring uh, this summer. So, or even earlier for some in May. So it just, it, it's just adding more uncertainty to an already uncertain supply chain. Let's just extend those a year so that companies know that they can get the products they need in the near term. And then any new votes that are being taken, just push those for now too. 
Well, I mean that that that's another angle. Yeah, that that could okay. be that could be looked at as well. Other couple, these are a little bit lesser down on the on the priority list, but still very important. And, and a lot of you listening to this podcast probably already, already experienced this. And, you know, in, in offshore facilities, on onshore facilities, you got a lot of folks working real close to each other. You got to test those folks before they come into your facility, or you you know you could potentially expose your whole facility to the virus and have to shut everything down. We try to get some priority f- testing for our sector. Uh, That's a great we're, point. we're starting to work through that, you know, and they're trying to work through that for the offshore is is to get get one company that will provide all that testing. And I, I think. It, those pro- those those are happening right now. That process is going on right now. That that's very important. The last one too is also going back to the supply chain is potentially some sort of tax credit process for having to uh, retool your manufacturing because of COVID disruptions. Uh, there's going to be pro as we've already seen. The EU is limiting exports. Uh, Asia may start doing the same thing. You know they're going to keep critical uh, materials only for the domestic market, at least until things settle down, which you know could be a few months, maybe hopefully shorter. So there might need to be some manufacturing changes here in the United States to get some tax credits to help with that 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 cost because there's a lot of uncertainty right now in the market. So to, to, for a company to spend that money uh, to bring that manufacturing back, it's it, you, know, you might need some some help. Well, just um, for uh, just a real world example on that, I was reading that the, for instance, the masks, these N95 masks, bringing production of that back to the United States, mm-hmm. So I, I know that's not oil and gas, but that that would be an example of tax credits to bring something critical back to the U.S. Right. It would be. But two, speaking of the masks, I mean, we do have PPE that looks like that and we're in short supply. And we talked earlier about some of the the calls that we've been working on. The supply chain call um, last week with all the heads of supply chain from our member companies, they all got together and now are working with Houston Methodist to provide them with PPE. Yeah, I did hear about that on the radio the other day in terms of the administration relaxing the um, the rules in terms of the masks that are very similar to the ones that were utilized in healthcare, but more in an industrial setting and how some of the um, – they, they've allowed that to happen. And so – Bechtel just donated uh, 15,000 of those right. N95 masks yeah. as well. So, I mean, I, I appreciate <clears> – <throat> A little shout out to Bechtel for stepping up as quickly sure. as they could. And a lot of our companies are doing the same. Are they? That's we excellent. hope to be able to share that. Good. So, sorry, Tim. Sorry, keep Tim. going, bud. <laughs> no, that was actually the, the, the last you know of, of our priorities, but we certainly are adding to those. And as things change, um, we're going to know what happens with um, with this this first package, this first stabilization package. Probably will be passed, I would guess, in the next two or three days. That's just going to be the first of many. Uh, $2 trillion, that sounds like a lot of money, and it is. I mean, it's an incredible amount of money. We're going to burn through that probably real quick. I mean, within within a couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, that, you know, we're, we're looking at, at 20 to 30 percent employment, unemployment, excuse me, um, within within a week or two. So we're, we're going to come back to the, the this is the first of, of many, many stabilization bills until, you know, really, I think there's there's two big kind of like D-Day events that we were looking out for. One, there is a successful treatment for the virus, which would be a, a game changer and would get things back to normal real quick. Or two, obviously, if there's a vaccine, the vaccine's probably farther, you know, that's probably 12 to 18 months away. So really our best short-term hope is that there's an effective treatment very soon. And then all of a sudden everything goes goes pretty much back to normal uh, real quick. And then we're just looking at the OPEC disaster. Yeah, well, that, that was going to be my next. Yeah. Let me ask two dumb questions. So we failed. So we, let's talk about cloture. Y'all are... <clears throat> more well-versed in this than, than probably Josh and I are, but uh, 
we failed to vote to agree to vote on something that still hasn't been fully agreed to <laughs> last night. What are the what are the odds of us actually getting something done? I know listening to Fox on the way up here today in the truck, um, you know, the the folks that seem to be at each other the most on this issue said they're going to come, you know, get something done today. But I've I have. Uh, I don't have very little. I have very little faith in that. What are your all's thoughts about that? Yeah, great question. So, um, what, you know, I hate to use the word the big big pork bill because really the bill originally was 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 pretty pretty straightforward and it didn't have a lot of earmarks or anything in it. But what happens is Congress, ha, ha, you know, over the past five to ten years have 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 dramatically cut down the number of bills that actually pass every year. So when you get a bill like this that is going to guarantee is going to pass at some point. Everybody wants to get their their provision in because it's the last train out of the station. You got to get your stuff on that train, or you're not you're not going to get, get out. So you know you got these renewable credits going in. They want to put you know mandates on diversity on corporate boards, mandates for green technology, all this stuff. You know I'm not saying it's wrong or right, but 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 all of these kind of ex- extraneous uh, provisions are getting thrown in because. They see this as a, as the only the only vehicle. Now there's going to be more vehicles. There'll be another bill in a couple of weeks. But that's why the, this debate gets gets more complicated. And is is because yeah. you get you got you got a hundred senators. They've all got their pet provisions, and then they say it's got to get in here, or you know who knows when the next bill is. So they're they're trying to dump everything in. But that being said, they will come to a compromise. You, you know, Congress moves if it if at any time they move fast is when there's a crisis. The problem there is that you know you get people to say, well, you never you just describe the problem, right? You never you never want to miss a crisis, right. To to get to get so it's a kind of a two edged sword. But bill will pass, help will come. This will probably be the first of a couple. You know, ho- hopefully things get back to normal sooner than later. But I'm just I'm just saying, you know, in the next couple of weeks, realistically, it's going to be longer than we think it is. And, yeah. and what we need to do is, uh, do you have any more points to your do not. Those are the main ones. Well, I want to ask a. I want to ask a question of both of you guys. So let's assume the knuckleheads in Washington, both parties, actually do something for the American people and get this done. Um, avoid a hopefully a lot of politics, and it does take a little bit longer. And let's say we we do come up with a treatment strategy. Um, we still have OPEC Plus to deal with, and what is y'all's what are your thoughts on on that situation? I mean, my my concern is even if the Saudis and the Russians kiss and make up, they've they've injected a level of they've uncertainty already, into the market. Yeah, right. I mean, they've oversupplied essentially, and I think we're seeing a lot of the analysts say that it's just going to require shut-ins of a lot of existing wells. And for us in oil field services, that just means less work. And so, you know, the the companies in OFS are just going to have to contract and then get and then expand. And I think they try, they're looking at creative ways to do that rather than just lay people off across the board. You're looking at furloughs, um, you know, but they do have to be able, and, and I always go back to this, but the, the oil field services and equipment sector has to be healthy enough to innovate. At the end of the day, they have to have the resources to continue to, to invest in R and D and, you know, 
just continued price concessions is just not going to work. There's nothing else. Yeah, there's to, no more. You to can't do. There's no more. The, more the blood has gone out of that turnip. And so these companies have to be healthy enough to innovate. And, you know, I think like Tim said, you know, it's when we come back, we'll come back with a bang and we need to be prepared and ready to go. Um, and you, and I think management teams are working on what that looks like. Um, but, you know, I think that that will be the key um, when we look at this oversupply situation. So I haven't asked for permission for this yet, but Tim, we have to have you back next week. And I mean, and, and I'm serious on this because I actually, I, there's an insight that's get the follow up on it is, that's beyond what we're going to see on TV. Uh, you know, you PISA has done a phenomenal job. Again, this was a directive of, of Leslie five years ago. And Tim, you are the manifestation of, you know, our advocacy efforts. And uh, as a PISA member, I want to hear more and I want to hear what we're doing behind the scenes. I don't want to hear it on TV and some guy that barely knows what the oil and gas industry is talking about what, how that's going to affect my family, your family, any, anybody who's listening to this is family. So Tim, I'm, I'm going to drag you back next week. I, Anytime. Okay, I appreciate that because I'm, I'm not going to edit that part out. You're definitely coming back. So we'll do it. We'll do a follow-up next week with Tim just to kind of hear by that time, hopefully the bill has passed and then you can help us kind of determine and decipher through what we've, what, what happened and how that's right. going to affect us. So That'd be great. Um, I listen, I appreciate it. I, this is a last minute. This is a COVID-19 special edition uh, podcast where we pull together uh, really for the education of the industry here. So how, how are they going to get a hold of you? Uh, it's PESA, P-E-S-A dot org. And Tim, what is your email address? <laughs> I'm glad you're giving it. Um, sure. Email me at T-T-A-R-P-L-E-Y at PESA dot org. So Tim Tarpley or T Tarpley. T Tarpley, all one word. Yeah. At Pisa.org. That's correct. So, um, and again, and to Josh, I just want to say, you know, we're trying to get as much of this out on social media as we can. Um, so Tim, um, and, and is working with his team to get things out, especially through LinkedIn, you know, yeah, LinkedIn is a phenomenal resource. I'm, in fact, it's pretty, it's really been interesting to watch LinkedIn in the last 10 days, how many professional people have turned to it as something, you know, maybe as a thing they once in a while did to now they're making, people are making videos and posts that they've never made before. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would suggest that you go to LinkedIn uh, is and search. It, it's PISA will get it, to you. Uh, it, it will. Um, there's some other things that might pop up with PISA, but it, it's Petroleum Equipment and Services okay. Association. And then search Oil Fill 360 as well. We're going to have uh, links to anything that Tim gives us. We'll put up there as well. That is it. If you need to get a hold of David and I, it's either Josh or David at Oilfield 360. Leslie, thank you for your time. Thanks, Tim, thank you for your time. I, I really, I know you're busy. Uh, Jonathan, thanks again for coming in and, and helping us. He's our sound man behind the scenes. Um, everybody, this is very serious. I know you guys are worried. We're going to get through this. There's a lot of information to take in right now. Stay focused. Try to decipher the facts through the fiction. Um, if you have any questions, reach out to somebody that you think is in the know. Information is key right now. Search for Oilfield 360 on any of your podcast platforms that you follow. We're on all the majors. Uh, look for us on our LinkedIn and our website. So that's it. Everybody have a great day. Be safe. Stay clean. Social distance and take that very seriously. Thank you. For more information on today's guest and to learn more about our sponsors, please visit www.oilfield360.com. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, www.simmonspsc.com. World Oil, www.worldoil.com. Prang & Associates, www.prang.com. EIV Capital, www.eivcapital.com. Galtway Industries, 
www.galtwayindustries.com. Tomahawk Safety, www.tomahawksafety.com. Range Valuation Services, www.rangevaluationservices.com. Locked in Global Energy and Marine, www.lockedin.com. Piper Sandler Companies, NYSE, PJC, is a leading investment bank and institutional securities firm driven to help clients realize the power of partnership. Securities brokerage and investment banking services are offered in the U.S. through Piper Sandler & Co., member SIPC and FINRA, in Europe through Piper Sandler Limited, authorized and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority, and in Hong Kong through Piper Sandler Hong Kong Limited, authorized and regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission. Asset management products and services are offered through four separate investment advisory affiliates, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, Registered Piper Sandler Investment Management, LLC, PJC Capital Partners, LLC, and Piper Sandler & Co., and Guernsey-based Parallel General Partners Limited, authorized and regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission, Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler are the energy specialists of Piper Sandler.